Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning. And my man up front, he's ready to rock and roll already, so we can't waste any time with a long introduction. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to continue right in track with our Colossians series that we started uh, a couple weeks ago, the week before Easter. Uh, my name is uh, David Crock. I'm one of the elders here at Corner Bible Church. I serve with my wife and our, our kiddos. Um, so about once a month, I get the chance to uh, share the word with you guys, and, and it's, always, it's always a great time. It's always a great week of uh, preparation. It's always uh, a challenging week. My wife will attest, it seems like every single time that um, I'm preparing to preach on a Sunday, God takes us through the fire of the text that week. Uh, I call it kind of tilling our hearts like a, like a, a disking of a field. And so this morning, Colossians chapter 1, we're looking at verses 24 through 29. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as, as we open your word, God, we pray that we would uh, humbly come before you, as, as Pastor Mike said, that, we would, uh, that you would open our hearts and that you would do spiritual surgery on us, that you would show us where we struggle, that you would show us where, where we fall short of the calling in our lives that you have placed upon us. God, help us to become the men and the women that you have called us to be today. Lord, you're, you, we pray that you would use your word to refine us, that like diamonds you would put the pressure on us, that we would be refined by, by suffering, that we would be refined by trials, that we would be uh, refined by, the, by the, uh, the things that happen in our lives. Lord, we pray this morning that you would be glorified in everything that we do and we say. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we had a beautiful day yesterday, am I right? Finally, we had sunshine. It was 80 plus degrees. I got sunburned. You got sunburned. It was great, right? Uh, we got to spend the, the morning watching my nephew play soccer, and uh, we were just sitting there, took our shoes off, basking in the sun. And as some of you are probably thinking as well, I kind of wish I would have had a chance to be out on a lake fishing yesterday. Anybody there? Some of you maybe did, right? But the thing is, when I fish, I spend most of my time fishing in a 14-foot aluminum boat. For some of you, that's super uncomfortable. Uh, for me, I actually, I kind of like it. But the problem is, with a 14-foot aluminum boat, the moment there's any wind on the lake, I'm blown away from where I want to be. 
the moment that the waves start to come in, the boat starts rocking. Right? The effects of nature on that boat out on the lake are extreme. Right? Now, if I had a 24-foot you know, bass tracker, that might be big, I don't know. Uh, but I'll never have one, so I, it doesn't really matter. But if I had a 24-foot bass tracker with a, you know, a huge motor on the back, an amazing trolling motor that actually will you know, GPS keep you right where you want to be, it's amazing. But sometimes what we try to do when we finally get where the fish are we put our anchor down, and we try to stay, because of that anchor, right where the fish are at. Now, sometimes the wind starts blowing, and we might start spinning, but if our anchor is in the right spot, if our anchor is heavy enough, if our anchor is in good, solid contact with the bottom of the lake, it's going to keep us where we need to be. So this morning, we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about um, confidence. We're going to talk about five different words that Paul uses in this text. And we're going to start to understand how he anchors those things in our lives. How do we keep our hope anchored in Christ? How do we get our, our, our confidence anchored? How do we get our power anchored? How do we get the goal, the reason for this life anchored? And that's what Paul gets at in this text. So the first thing, our joy. Our joy in gospel suffering is anchored in our love for Christ and the church. Our joy in gospel suffering is anchored in our love for Christ and the church. Verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. He says, I'm joyful that I'm suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul says, I am joyful to suffer on your behalf. If it means that I get the gospel to you, if it means that I'm able to fulfill the role that God has given me, I'm willing to go through anything. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this letter, Colossians, Paul is writing from prison. Right? Paul is locked up. Some theologians believe in his own home, right? his house arrest. Can't go anywhere. Paul's in chains, and he writes one of the four prison epistles being Colossians. And he says, the gospel is too important. The world is too desperate for something that they can anchor to. The world is so hungry for truth. The world is so hungry for hope. The world is so hungry for joy, even in the midst of suffering. And Paul says, this is where your joy in suffering comes from. Now, gospel suffering takes on many forms. For us, we don't really know true persecution yet. Right? It's not illegal for me to teach the Bible from this platform. It's not considered hate speech for me to to preach the Bible from this platform yet. Maybe someday. But gospel suffering in our lives takes on many forms. It may be not getting a promotion because of a biblical principle that you stand for. Maybe you're unwilling to sacrifice, to die on that altar that your your, uh, company is calling you to die on. It may include being the outcast because of the way you live. It may be getting reprimanded for sharing gospel truth in a setting where truth doesn't exist. It may be not getting the invite because of what you stand for. It may be as small as losing a friend or as large as losing your life. 
It may be accepting an assignment from Christ that didn't fit into your one-year or your five-year or your ten-year plan. But, in fact, this suffering, Paul says, is a continuation, an identification of Christ's afflictions for his ministry. Go back to verse 1. He says, and in my flesh, right, in, my, in the life that I'm living now, in myself, he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. He's not saying that he is continuing to take the wrath of God for the punishment of our sin. Right? He's saying that because Christ was crucified, buried, rose again, and ascended to heaven, now we step into his place and we bear the affliction just like he did for gospel ministry. Right? When we're at school and we represent the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ and what he's called us to live by, we're not going to be in the mainstream culture. I was just talking with some people after first service from our church. They said, the idea that God might put you in a position where you suffer for your growth is so uncommon. It is so non-mainstream. Right? None of the major Christian artists or the Christian preachers on TV are going to preach that because it doesn't sell albums. It doesn't fill seats. But the truth is that when you go into that suffering, when you go into that spot, the only hope, the only anchor is Christ. It doesn't help to say, well, God's going to bring you through this. God's going to bring you through this. God, you know, it's just, it's just Satan attacking you. It's just Satan attacking you. This is, this is random, right? No, this is God in control. This is God sovereignly walking you through this suffering for your own good in the path of obedience. Right? I can choose to take myself out. I can choose to walk this road, but I can tell you so many times in my life when I've chose to walk that road, just like Pastor Mike said, he left the 99 and chased after my butt. He chased me down because he wasn't going to let me go. And that's the only hope that we have in this. When we enter into suffering, whether it's for the gospel or it's health, or it's family, it's circumstances, whatever it might be, our only single hope that God is at work in this whole thing. In our suffering for the gospel, for a brief moment in time, we get to step into the trail of suffering that our Savior blazed for us. We get to walk in the gouge from the cross that He dragged in the street. We get to sting with each flog and each lash across our back. We get to see people through the bloody veil from the thorns piercing our skull we get to scream as the spikes are driven through our outstretched hands and blistered feet. We get to wheeze as we inhale and slowly suffocate in front of the masses. Our suffering for the gospel is a mere glimpse, a small taste of the suffering that our Savior went through for us. Now, when we suffer, not if we suffer, when we suffer, there's five things that I, that I think we need to remember. And this is, this is from my personal experience. Number one, when suffering for the gospel, remember that it is not random. Your suffering is not random. The spot that you are in today is not random. The marriage that you're in today is not random. The employer that you work for is not random. The problems that you're facing today are not random. Random. God has specifically 
put you in this specific spot for a specific reason. And one of those reasons for your growth. Secondly, it should not surprise us. We read countless texts throughout the scripture of suffering, godly saints suffering. It's part of the fallen world. It's part of God's plan for us that we should suffer. It is foolishness to the world. Your friends that are not following after Christ and not counseling you from God's word are going to try to remove you from the suffering. Have you ever noticed that? You're going through a hard time. You maybe start relying on one of your friends, talking with them. The first thing that they do is they try to take you out of the suffering. Right? They love you. They don't want to see you going through hard times. Right? They don't want to see your marriage, your, your hard times taking a toll on your kids. They just leave. Right? The damage that you're doing within that relationship is too great. You just need to leave. The counsel from your friends, the counsel from the word are going to be completely opposite. When suffering for the gospel, remember that it puts you in good company. We don't have to look much further than Easter to remember that. And number five, it will increase in frequency and severity. As we get closer and closer to Christ coming back, our suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ will grow in severity and it will grow in frequency. Number two, our confidence in proclaiming the gospel is anchored in the calling God placed on our lives. So we talked about our joy in suffering. Our joy is anchored in Christ. Our confidence in proclaiming the gospel, our confidence in standing firm for the truths of God's word is anchored in the calling that God has placed on your lives as a follower of Christ. Verse 25 and 26, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul says, even though I'm suffering, I can have confidence because this is the role God gave me. When we're in the spot that God has put us in, that we know we're confident that we're where God wants us to be, we can say, come what may. The scary part is when we decide to step out from underneath his cover. When we decide that I'm going to make my own way, I'm going to choose my own path, and then the suffering starts. Right, then we read in Revelation where people are fleeing to caves and any nook and cranny to get away from the hailstone and fire. Right, there's no protection. There's no covering. Verse 25, it says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship, a fancy word for role, the, the assignment from God that was given to me for you. Now, God specifically assigned Paul in a specific moment in time to take a specific message to a specific people. In church, until we embrace the specifics, we cannot fulfill the mission. Until we, we embrace the specific details of our lives, and until we get on board with what he's doing in those specific details, we cannot actually walk out the walk that he's called us to walk. Right? Until I embrace 
the position as a husband. Until I embrace the position as a husband with the wife in the time that I have, in the location that I'm at, in the way that it is, I'm not going to embrace and get on board with what he's doing. I first have to embrace the specifics. And Paul also tells us to embrace the mode that God uses. In Paul's case, it was prison. Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon all from prison. Now, do you think that those letters, do you think that this text has additional weight to us as readers because he wrote it from prison? When he's telling you that your joy is going to be anchored in Christ, that your confidence in the gospel is going to be anchored in Christ, and we're reading that and you're saying, Paul, you're saying that from prison, man? He's like, yeah, they can lock me up. I'm going to start a church. He says, yeah, they can lock me up. I'm going to start writing scripture. Yeah, they can lock me up, but we're going to be sending guys out from prison, from Paul's church in prison. We're going to be sending out into the world as missionaries, as disciples of Jesus Christ. And he says, I can be confident in that because this is right where God put me. I'm trusting that the God of this universe, the one that put breath into my lungs, that put heartbeat into my body, that he has put me right in this moment of time for a reason. And all of these folks coming up in, you know, early 20s, right? Live it. We, we're, this world is crazy. I can't stand this world. This politics, the, the schools, the blah, 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 right? No, they were made for this purpose. The people in high school right now, you were made to live in this world in this time. You guys dealing with college right now, living in, in chaos on university campuses, you were made for this. It's not random. This stuff's not just happening to you. You were specifically made for this specific time, for a specific purpose, with a specific role. But until you get on board with those specifics, you're not going to be able to fulfill the role. Are you tracking with me on that? That mode for Paul was prison. What's the role that God has given to you? Have you requested a role from God? Or are you still trying to do your own thing? Have you opened your life and circumstances to God to assign you a role? And lastly, how does your role fit into God's economy? How does the role, how does the, the location, how does the time how does the gifts, right? how does the passion, how does that all fit into what God's doing where you're at? If you don't think that God's at work on Western Michigan University's campus because they're off the wall to the left, you're crazy. If you don't think that God has caused or allowed all of this craziness to happen, you're missing the point of Scripture. You're missing it. There's a specific purpose for you sitting in this specific chair today. I'm not saying that that purpose is to stand on a platform and preach. I'm not saying that that purpose is to, you know, go take care of 45 kids in children's ministry. It might be, right? But you have to be willing to accept the assignment from Christ and fulfill the role that he's called you to today. What's your specific role? We talked about joy. We talked about confidence. Our hope, number three, our hope is anchored in Christ in us. Nothing else. Our hope 
is anchored in Christ in us, nothing else. Verse 27, Paul says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says the only hope of glory for now in eternity is Christ in you. It doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't come from your lineage. It doesn't come from being a Jew, a Jew or being Greek. It doesn't come from growing up in the Baptist church because your family took you there. It doesn't come from your religious rituals. It doesn't come from I read the Bible 20 minutes a day. It doesn't come from I show up in church on Sunday mornings. It doesn't come from anything that you can do. It only comes from the fact that Christ is in you. Romans 8, 10 through 11, Paul says, but if Christ is in you, eh, underline, he's going to say it a lot, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, although our body is dead, our flesh is dead, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, there's Christ in you again, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul says, if Christ is in you, right? Let's get that foundation laid. Right? Let's get the cement pad put in. Right? If Christ is in you because you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, even though your flesh is dead from sin, you have a life within you. And that life in you, Paul says, that Christ in you is the power of God that has taken residency in you. Do you remember all the, the stuff that, that Paul talked about in the, the first half of chapter 1 in Colossians? Talking about Christ being preeminent. About Christ being the creator. Talking about the creation being made for him. Right? Being the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha, He's the Omega, He is everything. And now, Paul says, not only is Christ seated on the throne as the king of this world, as the, the ruler of the universe, but He has chose to take up residency inside of you. To make you the husband you're supposed to be. To make me the husband I'm supposed to be. To make you the wife you're supposed to be to make you the student you're supposed to be, the parent you're supposed to be, the grandparent you're supposed to be. He's trying to conform you into something different. Because your flesh is so dead, and your sin is killing you. Even though your flesh is dead in sin, even though your flesh is drenched with alcohol abuse, even though your flesh is infiltrated with pornography, even though your flesh is overtaken by anger, even though your flesh is torn by infidelity where something used to be one flesh and now it has been torn apart, there is nothing that Christ in you cannot redeem. There is nothing. Just like Pastor Mike, there is not a distance too far. There is not a mountain too high. There is not a depth too low that Christ in you is not part of. That he cannot 
recover, that he cannot redeem. Is it going to happen today? It's probably not going to happen today. Is it going to happen tomorrow? It might. But it's going to take Christ in you, becoming you, living his life through you. J.D. Greer said this in my uh, devotion that I had last week. He said, in every heart there is a throne and a cross. Right? In every heart there is a throne and a cross. If self is on the throne, then Jesus must be on the cross. You tracking with me so far? If Jesus is on the throne, then our self must be on the cross. So the question that he posed is, who's on the throne in your heart? Because if you're willing to put Christ on the throne, that means that you have to put yourself on the cross. And that that doesn't sell. But if we're willing, if we're unwilling to put ourselves on the cross because we want to be on the throne, we want to be Lord of our life, we want to run the show, then we're crucifying Christ on the cross of our heart. So the question this morning, church, who's on the throne in your heart? Paul says, that's such a hard question. That's something that's so hard to do that he says every single day he has to crawl back up onto the altar as a living sacrifice. Every single morning he has to crawl back up on the altar and say, God, my flesh wants to take this. My flesh wants to control this. My flesh wants to run this. I want to make my kids my way. I want to make my family my way. I want to make my job my way. I want to make my life my way. I've got my... Right? And you talk, remember, you're talking to a planner here, right? I got my one-year plan. I've got my five-year plan. I got my 10-year plan. I got my 20-year plan. Right? That's how my brain works. That's how my self works. And he says, Dave, every single day, you have to crawl back up onto that altar and allow me to kill that plan. Every single day, you have to crawl back up to that cross and that's what Jesus means when he says to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. We have to choose, am I putting myself on the throne or am I putting myself on the cross? Number four, our goal. Our goal is anchored. So our reason for living, our reason for being here in church, one of the reasons for being here in church, our goal is anchored in presenting the church mature in Christ. I feel like I butcher the word mature every time I say it. I don't know. Mature, mature. I, I, our goal is anchored in presenting the church mature in Christ. Verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, underline everyone, and teaching everyone, underline everyone, with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He gives us two modes that we're supposed to do this, two ways that we're supposed to grow in our maturity. And that's through warning and that's through teaching. We can see that in Scripture, right? We can see where there's a passage where Christ is warning us. 
He is bringing out the two by four to crack us aside the head with it, right? Because what we're walking into is so dangerous, right? Walking, what we're walking into has so much weight and so, so many consequences that he brings the warning two by four and he smacks us upside the head. And then there's times where he sits beside us as a teacher and says, you see what my word says here, David? Time to take this and walk with it. And Paul says, we're supposed to warn everyone. We're supposed to teach everyone because our goal is to present everyone in the church mature in Christ in the, in the last days at the great white throne judgment. When we stand before God and give an account for every single part of our lives. So we have to ask ourselves, what does maturity look like? Now this could be a four-month series, but I'm going to try to sum it up in one verse. Ephesians 4.13, Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says the measure is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the standard that we have to look to. Jesus Christ is the fullness of the law. He is perfect, he is sinless, he is spotless, and he is the standard that we have to measure our lives upon. But God knows that because our flesh is dead, because we are born with a sinful bend, that we cannot stand up. We cannot live up to that standard. So in Christ, our weakness is not an opportunity for disgrace, right? In Christ, our weakness is not an opportunity for disgrace, but rather an opportunity for his grace. Right? Let me say it again. Our weakness is not an opportunity for disgrace. It's not an opportunity for us to be disgraced by the sin, by the weaknesses, by the struggles that we have, because we're all going to have them. And just because the Word shows us where we fall short doesn't mean that we are disgraced by it. In fact, it means that we fall before the cross and we say, God, this is an opportunity for your grace. I need you now. You've put me in here now. You've shown me where I'm struggling. God, I need you to fix this now because I can't do it on my own. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, you, you know this verse. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Not just sometimes. He says it's, for, it's sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the level, the, the amount that we're willing to accept and see our weaknesses directly correlates with the power of Christ working in our lives. When we're willing to come before him humbly and say, God, this is where I'm falling short. God, I'm not good enough. You see, when, before I came to Christ, I thought I had to have this all cleaned up first. I thought I had to have all of this sin that I loved so much that my flesh was so in love with, that my flesh was so addicted to. I thought I had to get rid of all that 
stop enjoying, stop liking it, stop having those desires in order to come to Christ. But he says quite the opposite. He says that when you come before him weak, that's when he's going to show up strong. When you come before him strong, there's no reason for him to come in. When you put yourself on the throne, I'm Lord of this thing, I'm writing this ship, I'm running the show, you're putting him on the cross. There's no power, it's dead. But he says, when you humbly come before me, and you say, God, I realize this is sin, I know this is sin, I know this is killing me, I know this is killing my family, I know this is killing my friends, I know this is killing my marriage, but God, I cannot get rid of it. I cannot let go of it. My flesh loves it too much. He says, perfect, David. Now you're right where I can fix you up. Now you're right where you're supposed to be. When you come to me with your tool belt on saying, I've got all this stuff figured out. I'm going to take care of this. Christ says, okay. And you might be able to fake it for a week, right? Maybe two, if you can avoid enough people. But it's going to come back up. It's going to creep back up. So he says, fall before me in your weakness. Boast in your weakness. But realize that in your weakness, that's when I'm coming in and I'm going to start working on you. That's when I'm going to start changing things. Lastly, our power is anchored in the supernatural strength provided by the life of Christ in us. Our power, where our power is anchored, our power is anchored in the supernatural strength provided by the life of Christ in us. Verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now how in the heck does that work? Right? How can you toil, how can you struggle, but have it all with his energy and his power working within us. Paul says you have to show up, first of all. You can't sit on the couch and expect to be fed when the food is on the table. You can't sit on the couch and expect to be fed when the food is on the table. you got to show up to the table, guys. you got to come to the Word. you got to come to Christ you got to fall before him and say, God, I am here. I need you now. Right? I pulled up the chair. I sat at the table. Now I need you to feed me. Now I need you to be the one to provide the food. Then he says it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be instantaneous. It's not going to change overnight. But he promises us that if we show up, He's going to bring all his energy into this thing. That he's going to be the one to give you the energy. He's going to be the one to power this thing. He's going to be the one to drive this thing because he is going to powerfully work within you. Christ in you is powerful. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead resides in you. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ Jesus. But you have to show up. You have to show up to the table. 
We can't sit on the couch while the food is on the table and expect to get fed. But He promises that if we show up, if we come to Him in our weakness, then His strength is going to abound. His power is going to abound. His mercy is going to abound. His grace is going to abound. That's going to be lavished upon you in your weakness. But we have to come to the table. So as Anne leads us in our closing song this morning, biblical maturity shows a lost and dying world a hope that can overcome the sin that is killing them. A lot of people want nothing to do with Christ because they don't think that He can actually help them. But church, when we fall before Him, when we take ourselves off the throne and we put ourselves on the cross, put Christ in His rightful place, He promises He's going to show up. He promises that He's going to power this thing. He promises that there is nothing that He cannot redeem. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.